We were really blessed as a church uh, to have uh, two of the missionaries that the church supports uh, that morning. And uh, that morning shared a picture with the church there that he felt God had given him to share with us as a church family. We believe that God is alive and active and still speaks to us today. And we want to be open and receptive to what the Spirit is saying to us, always weighing that carefully and certainly testing that against Scripture. Um, Following that morning, Scott asked to send an email with what God had put on his heart. And as elders, we spent some time praying into this at a recent elders meeting. And I just wanted to read uh, some of what I believe God has put before us. Uh, He had been reflecting on John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And this is some of what he shared. Your roots are embedded in the fertile soil of Christ. I see you as a vine that is planted in Christ. And from this vine, branches are sent to the nations. This is us and all of you involved in various ways to see vibrant communities established. When a branch connected to the vine is pruned, The ends are cut off, and when the sun shines down on the vine, the roots of the vine draw water from the fertile ground, and this living water flows through the vine into the branches and out of the branches and into the nations. It strengthens the vine, it nourishes the branches, and it produces fruit. Keep being rooted, was the final three words. And those are an important three words for us. Keep being rooted. Uh, is an important message for us just now in a time of change, both in the world and in this church. That encouragement to keep being rooted is also significant, I have to tell you, because I think it will pretty much be the conclusion of pretty much every sermon that we are going to look at in the next nine weeks or so, as we look at the fruit of the Spirit that will take us through to Easter time. Uh, And we've just heard the passage in Galatians chapter 5. And as we will see, this idea of keep being rooted in Christ is going to be absolutely crucial for us understanding how God might lead us on. And and we pray uh, as we ask God to help bring about that fruit in our lives, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So this message is going to be different from the other ones. Uh, this is, there's going to be a lot of background in this message, and we're really only going to look at our, our, our fruit, uh, which is goodness, very briefly at the end of the message as we come to communion. Because I just want to give some background. I think it's important that we have some idea of where we are as we come to a passage like this. So we're in the book of Galatians. I do encourage you, if you've got a phone, then find it there, or if you don't have a Bible, there's some at the back. Find the book of Galatians. Don't be worried about using the the contents page. Um, And this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia, which he certainly had a key role in, in God's establishing of that church. And Paul is writing out of concern about some dangerous false teaching that has crept into the church and has led many in the church astray. What, what was happening was that extra religious burdens were being put on the people of God there. Those early believers who should have been living in the freedom that Jesus won for them. There were people coming in saying, no, you've got to do this, that, and the next thing on top of just normal life in Christ. And Paul's writing to call them back 
to the heart of the gospel and to that life which is rooted in the finished work of Jesus. So, for example, look at verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. As I mentioned, these religious leaders were just laying on layer upon layer of religious burden. And Paul is saying, no, don't give into that. Don't let yourself fall under that slavery. You are free in Jesus. And in this chapter, he's going to lay out a little bit of what that does look like, freedom in Christ, and a little bit of what that does not look like. And that part of what this should look like, what life lived in the freedom that Christ brings Uh, What that looks like is what we're really going to be focusing on over these next weeks in the fruit of the Spirit. And as as I mentioned, the plan is to look at each of these one in turn. We're not going to do them in order. I I know that for some of you, that's a struggle. I'll be honest, it's a little bit, you know, you know my tendencies, and it's a little bit of a struggle for me that we're not doing it in order, but we're not, partly because I don't think the point of the list is that the order is important. This is not an exhaustive list of what we, of what life as a follower of Jesus should mention. There's plenty other parts of the scriptures we could look to that aren't specifically mentioned here. But these fruit, one fruit, and then listed as multiple examples of what that should look like in the life of a follower of Jesus, these are some good things to look at. And I don't know about you, but we often list them off very quickly, don't we? <laughs> Maybe some of you have had the experience that I've had where you are in a prayer meeting and you start praying the fruit of the Spirit and you get to number three or four and then you start panicking that you're going to forget one of them and get them in the wrong direction, get them in the wrong order and someone around you is going to judge you for that. Anyone had that experience? Maybe just me. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we do tend to list these off quite quickly sometimes. So we just thought it'd be good as elders, just for us as a church family, just to soak in some of these things. So as I say, we're, we're touching on goodness just very briefly as we come to communion at the end. Because I want us to understand, what is Paul trying to do in this passage more generally? One of the important things for us to understand is a key distinction that Paul makes, which you, which you come up against many times in Paul, but especially also in this chapter, a distinction between flesh and spirit. So as I was preparing this, I was planning on mentioning uh, along the lines of, we looked at this recently when we journeyed through Romans chapter 8. And then I thought, recently? Uh, Wait a minute, those weren't recorded videos. Wait, that wasn't. And then I realized it was pre-lockdown that we looked at Romans chapter 8. Feels like about two weeks ago to me. But uh, I don't know if you remember, September 2019, we journeyed through Romans chapter 8 together. And uh, I'm sure you remember everything of all those messages back then. Uh, But (laughs) in case you didn't, um, Paul brings up this distinction in Romans 8 very clearly about uh, the distinction between flesh and spirit. Now, what, what's important to understand when Paul is using this distinction is to realize that he is talking about two different, entirely different spiritual realities that we can live under. Life in the flesh or life in the spirit. Life in the flesh is every single one of us Apart from Jesus, apart from what God has done in Christ, left to ourselves without the saving work of Jesus. This is what life in the flesh 
looks like. The NIV used to always translate that as our sinful nature. And if you've got an older NIV, the 1984 version, you'll see that there in that passage. But they eventually went back to this word flesh because they realized that Paul is using this in quite a particular specific way. So if you've got a new NIV, I think they now include a footnote about how this word refers to the the sinful state of human beings. This is the state of life which is turned away from God, trying to live under the the power of our own efforts. But the Bible actually describes this not as living, but actually it describes it as spiritual death, where we are cut off from the source, the only source of true and lasting life. So there's this life lived, I think Martin Luther referred to as life turned in on ourselves, life in the flesh, and then there's life in the spirit. And, and basically, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is someone who has embraced the freedom from that way of sin and death uh, that Jesus has won. And essentially, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is describing some aspects of what life lived under these different spiritual realities looks like. So in verses 19 to 21 that Jane just read for us, we see life lived in the flesh, left to our own sinful inclinations. And then from verse 22, we have a, a description of what life lived in the Spirit should look like. Now, we need to be careful here. This is, there's, there's, there's nuance here that we need to acknowledge together. These, ca- these categories, it's true that they are crucially important. It, it is important for us to understand that you're either still living according to the flesh or by accepting Jesus' grace and forgiveness, not about being extra special or good in yourself. It's all about your response to Christ then you can know in that case that you are no longer bound to that old way, but you're alive, you're free in the life of the Spirit. While these are important distinctions, that doesn't mean that there's no struggle. In fact, it's, it's one of the points of this whole passage is that Paul is warning the church in, in Galatia to not give into this struggle. Look at verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This old way, but through love, serve one another. And there's a similar exhortation in verse 16 as well. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So there's this life in the Spirit, but then there's this reality. What does it look like to walk in that? To walk forward in that. And then in verse 17, Paul explicitly references this internal battle of desires that we all have. The desires of the flesh being against the spirit and vice versa. And then we get to these two lists. Works of the flesh and and fruit of the spirit. And again, there's another reason we need to be careful here. Because this is not like some sort of questionnaire that if you can tick one of the things in one of these lists, that tells you what group you're in. That's not how this works. Oh, um, you spotted that new car that your neighbor got this week and wished that you could just have the life that they have. Oh, that's envy. Turn left for the group of uh, desires of the flesh, please. No, that's not how it works. Or, oh, you know, um, in that terrible traffic when that driver was just driving like a, a maniac in front of you and driving you mad, 
glad you managed to stay calm and keep your horn and your hands to yourself. That sounds like patience. Turn right for the group of desires of... No, that's not what Paul is getting at here. As you read verse 19 to 21, it should be clear to us that no Christian is perfect. No Christian has avoided all of these things. When we looked at Romans chapter 8, I read a great quote from from Douglas Moo, which I'll I'll share again. Any excuse to use that guy's name? Yes, the following is a Moo point. So tempted to quote Joy Tribbiani right now. Anyone to have an amen? This is what Douglas Moo writes as he was uh, trying to He was speaking of these two spiritual realities that we can live under, and he's addressing what that looks like in practice. Listen to what he writes. Like freed slaves who might, out of habit, obey their old masters even after being released legally and positionally from them, so we Christians can still listen to and heed the voice of that old master of ours, the flesh. That's a helpful way to think when you stumble in sin. It's helpful to remember, this is not who I am in Christ Jesus. And I've stumbled, I've I've listened to that old master, who I'm free from. But, But we do, day by day, which is why Jesus taught us to pray. And he said, "Pray, give us today our daily bread. So there's a daily prayer where he said that we should pray, forgive us our sins. We need to not act like we've got it all together. And again, when we look at those verses, 19 to 21, I don't think there's anyone who could say that they have avoided all these things. And and conversely then, we all know people who don't identify as followers of Jesus who we might describe as kind and as patient or, or loving. Theologians over the centuries have talked about God's common grace. These are aspects of God's character, God's rule, God's uh, economy, God's reign that break into the world visible in all people and places. And we can celebrate that in people, people who don't yet know Jesus, but are showing signs of kindness. That's, that's God's grace, common grace. And we want to pray that, that he would take that seed and, and from that place bring new life which will bring about saving grace. Now, these caveats are important, right? But so is the actual main broad point that Paul is making, which is this, that whether someone is living according to the flesh or according to the spirit, that that is identifiable. You should be able to notice who is living under that spiritual rule of sin and death and selfishness and who is living under the rule and reign of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Yes, with all those caveats, but the point remains and it's important. Those who live apart from the power and life of Jesus will be unconcerned about settling in behaviors such as the ones listed in verses 19 to 21. And here's the fascinating thing about this list. We're going to look at it in just a second. It is as ugly as it is completely descriptive of normal life in our society. 
I listened to a sermon by Dick Lucas on these verses, and he highlighted that what's actually shocking about this list is that the world has made no progress on these things in eliminating any one of these issues in the last 2,000 years. Think of all the progress we've made over that time in every area of life, but not, not in this one. And Lucas helpfully highlighted that you can group this list into sort of four realms of sinful behavior. So if you look in verse 19, first of all, we have sexual behavior, which is outside of God's plan. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And then, second realm, we have religious and spiritual practices apart from God. So idolatry, giving our worship, giving our lives to something other than God, and then sorcery, which I think captures all sorts of engagement in spiritual practices away from what God has laid out for us. So, so you've got sexual behavior outside of God's plans, religious and spiritual beliefs apart from God. Thirdly, relational breakdowns. Uh, where it says enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, isn't it interesting? <laughs> That's way longer a list than the other two realms that we've just mentioned. Maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, I've not done any sorcery recently, but, but Paul wants to make clear there are other issues here. There's huge relational breakdown, and he makes a big point of that here. And then the fourth realm, which Lucas highlight, helpfully highlights, is excesses with drink and food and wild parties. Verse 21, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's not meant to be an, ex an extensive, exhaustive list. Paul lists them all together in this list. They're all so different. And, and isn't it tempting to sort of categorize these things? You know, like I said, you know, yeah, calm down, Martin. I accept I may get jealous from time to time, but don't come talking to me about orgies and sorcery, right? That's how we can often feel. But Paul doesn't categorize these things, and nor does he attempt to list all sinful behaviors. His point in listing these is to flag the reality and the seriousness of patterns of behavior that are totally at odds with the way God intended the world to be. And then his purpose is to take that and to warn us. This sort of behavior is not consistent with life in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 21. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, remember he's speaking to the church, as I warned you before, those who do such things, we'll come back to that, will, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now in the ESV, there's a helpful footnote which highlights the nuance of this word, those who do such things, it says those who make a practice of doing such things. The NIV says, those who live like this. The NLT says, anyone living that sort of life. So this is, again, it's not talking about the odd stumble here and there. It's talking about that place of just being settled. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm just going to live however I want to please. Those who make a practice of these behaviors will not inherit the kingdom of God. So friends, this demands sober self-reflection. 
In these areas, sex, spirituality, interactions with others, excesses with drink and food and parties, the question is this, have you become settled? Have we become indifferent? Have we become comfortable with some of these things having crept into our lives? Not talking about a rare stumble, but are there patterns in in your life that you need to be aware of? And, And the point of this passage is, don't just give the quick right answer. Sometimes knowing the right theology can be dangerous because we can jump there so quickly. The point of this passage is, look at what your behavior is telling you. Paul has this very sober warning for us that those who are settled in sin will not inherit God's kingdom. And friends, we just need to pray for the help of the Holy Spirit here. Because on the one hand, there will be people in this room who have become so careless about the behavior they have stumbled into that they need to hear the starkness of this warning, just as Paul lays it out very starkly. And in this room, there will be those who for decades have struggled with assurance that they're truly saved. And they need to know the help and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's where these caveats are so important. But we, we, we need to Take these things seriously because our behavior, the point of this passage is our behavior is evidence of where you are rooted. Are you rooted in the things of this world, the desires of the flesh, or are you rooted in Jesus? Because then the passage goes on and this is where we're going to spend the next nine weeks. Here's what life looks like. For those who live under the canopy of the life of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. And as much as we should be challenged by self-examination in verses 19 to 21, so I think we should be challenged when we look at the fruit of the Spirit and test ourselves, consider ourselves against those. Yes, challenged, but here's, I think, the main tone that I want to strike this morning and in these weeks I think it's so important that we are inspired by what we see here of the fruit of the Spirit. This list is so beautiful, isn't it? So precious. So admirable. Let let me read it to you again. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We can see how precious this is in the lives of some people who we love and admire. Think of someone who you consider to be a deeply godly person. There's no shortage in this church of of people that come to my mind in that category who I can think of. And, And you see these things in them, don't you? Fruit that God has brought about in their lives. And we should be inspired in these weeks. Remember, friends, this is freedom. This is freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Verse 1, verse 13, you were called to freedom. Don't use that freedom for all that messy, horrible Antichrist behavior. Instead, use it to, to serve others. Use it to embrace the love and the, the life that Jesus has for us. This is freedom. Not how 
not how our culture defines freedom, right? You think of that song, I'm free to do what I want any old time. Interestingly, first written in 1965 by the Rolling Stones, it was a hit again by a weird Scottish band in 1990, and just last year, it was used by East Saint Laurent by Dua Lipa in another version of the song, which was massively popular again. <laughs> it seems that every 30 years or so, we need this cultural reminder that what the world thinks is freedom is complete self-autonomy. I'm free to do what I want any old time. That's not what freedom is. Freedom here is, as it says in verse 13, that through love we would serve one another in the fruit of the Spirit. And we see this call to freedom where Paul says, against such things there's no law. Go crazy with the fruit of the Spirit. Chase after these things with with zealous passion and excitement. Be free in chasing after these qualities in the world. May we not see the fruit of the Spirit as some burden that we have to carry in order to match up to God. That's not the gospel. That's not good news or or, or something that we, we would beat ourselves up about when we don't get there. But let us celebrate that this is what God is bringing about in us. And let's keep rooted to Jesus and pray that in time, fruit takes time to grow, right? (laughs) It takes time. In time, pray that we'll see these things growing in our lives. Now, as we do this, I want us to just prepare our hearts for communion now. And I want us to do that by thinking about this word goodness. Don't worry, that's not like a third of the sermon gone. We're coming coming into a close just now. Life lived and the power of the Spirit brings about goodness in our lives. It's not a complicated point, this one, but the reflection for us is profound. Here's the question. Is your life marked by goodness? On a normal Tuesday morning or on a normal Thursday evening and everywhere in between, is your life, your actions, your thoughts, your words, and so on, Do you see goodness growing as the fruit that people would see? This particular word is only used four times in the New Testament, but the word from which it comes, good, is used many times across Scripture. And it's one of the most fundamental descriptors for who God is. So so finish the phrase for me. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Again and again in Chronicles and Ezra and in the Psalms, we hear that. Finish this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And we've been singing about this. Thanks, Matthew, for your choice. I don't know if you picked up on it. But, uh, you know, 10 worship leader points to you, Matthew, because all the songs were speaking about God's goodness. God's goodness. This is who God is. And this is who we will be, friends as we stay rooted in Jesus. It's speaking of moral purity, that disposition to live for the benefit of others. And a key verse in this is in the following chapter in Galatians 6 verses 9 to 10. It says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Living for others, helping others, blessing others. How do we do this, friends? How do we see this goodness in our lives? 
I've already told you the conclusion. Keep rooted in Jesus. I just invite Matthew and Mark to come up just now as we prepare for communion. I want to read you three passages as we come to communion. And these are past, present, and future encouragements for us as we pray for this goodness to grow in us. Just to say, as we come to communion, you might notice under your uh, seats following Ian's awesome pre-service workout, there's a little uh, cup uh, which at the top has a little wafer, a little bit of bread, um, basically. And uh, I just want you to know that there is an open invitation to share in this time. And it's, it's an invitation for anyone who loves Jesus. And, and you may not have known if you loved Jesus when you walked in, but maybe you know right now. Join in this time. It's for those who are rooted in Christ, for those who know that he is their savior and he is their life. And whether that's you for the first time today or for the thousandth time, Jesus' invitation is this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We can come to Jesus and we can find ourselves rooted in him only through his death and resurrection. And that's what we're remembering and celebrating here today. And the little wafer at the top of the packet there represents the body of Jesus given for us. And the little cup of juice represents the blood of Jesus shed for us. And this is what secured that victory of sin and death. And anyone who comes to Jesus can know that the sinful nature within us will not have the last word. It will not win out. Sin has been defeated. So goodness will grow in the life of those who found, who are found in Christ. So past, present, and future encouragements in this. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 4. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then listen to this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It couldn't be any clearer that the fruit of the Spirit, they're not tick boxes that we need to check to know God, but it's all His work, all His grace, and then good works follow that. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for good works. And this goodness which is to grow has been planned by God from ages past. Let's keep rooted in Him. And then John chapter 15, present encouragement. And I wanted to read this just because this is obviously crucial to the, the, the picture that Sagrin shared with us. Look at verses four and five. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, 
neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we see this fruit in our lives? But we stay rooted in Jesus, resting in him, connected to him. So as we think about all he has done for us, I want to invite you now in this time as a sign of our dependency on him and our daily need of his grace and life. I would invite you, if you would come to Jesus just in this moment, after a moment's reflection, when you're ready to partake of the wafer, representing the body of Jesus given for us. Let us, dear friends, abide in him, remain in him in this time. Lord, we want to see this fruit grow in our lives. We thank you that there is an invitation for every single person here to live under the power of the Holy Spirit, to know that life in Jesus Christ. And we want to see the reality of that come clearer and clearer in our lives. And we thank you that that's not about us striving in ourselves, but it's about us coming to you and abiding and resting in you. Thank you for making that possible for us. Thank you that we can know deep communion with you and indeed in this time with one another. We thank you, God. And then as we look to the future, dear friends, Philippians chapter one, verse six says this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I just want to encourage you this morning, don't give up. Don't give up. God has you. If you're rooted in him, there's nothing strong enough to pull you away from him. If you're not seeing much goodness in your life just now, God will bring it about as you trust in Christ. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says we should proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I invite you to take this cup just now And when you're ready, drink it as an act of celebration and thanksgiving that Jesus has saved you, that he is saving you, and that he will save you. He will not give up on his work. So take some time. We're going to respond now. We're going to sing. We're going to take this juice into our bodies as that reminder that he's coming back. He will finish the work he's started. So drink in recognition of all that Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. Let's abide in him. Stay rooted in him. 
And may the fruit of the Spirit grow in us even now. That goodness of God rising forth in us as we stay rooted in Christ. Amen.